customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Athletics Football GM Podcast. And now, the Athletics Mike Sando and former NFL Executive of the Year, Randy Muir. Welcome to this post-Super Bowl edition of the Football GM Podcast. Mike Sando here, along with Randy Mueller again. Good morning, Randy. How are you? Doing great, Mike. Good morning to you. Ready to roll, man. I'm, I'm sad that this is our last uh, football football podcast, you know? Yeah, and additional sad news breaking quickly this morning with the passing of Marty Schottenheimer, 200 career victory coach. We were going to talk about that. We're going to lead off the podcast. We just got word of that um, as we're recording. Uh, we want to talk about the Carson Wentz situation today, some additional quarterback dominoes. The Hall of Fame voting came in over the weekend uh, with a five-member class there and three contributors. We're going to talk about that. Uh, the Super Bowl, by the way, oh yeah, that happened over the weekend too. We'll have some of the fallout there. Uh, certainly a lot to talk about. And then um, our Ask the GM question really deals with team building this offseason with the cap, the salary cap potentially going down. So, Randy, Marty Schottenheimer, 200 career victories, 21 seasons as a head coach, only two losing seasons. He, he turned around three programs that were floundering uh, in Cleveland, Kansas City, San Diego, the Chargers at that time. And I know when I just write off what I think about is, the old AFC West, I mean, shoot, you were in Seattle for all those years. He was in Kansas City. He was a major, he was a pain in the ass. In the <laughs> I mean, so much respect for Marty Schottenheimer. What uh, what comes to mind for you? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, a very sad day. Uh, I, I was lucky as a young kid in the NFL to have been around him a few times. And and uh, I, every time I think of Marty, I think of this one story. We were at the Combine in Indianapolis. And gosh, I don't know, it was probably late 80s at some point, but uh, it was me, Abe Gibran, and a lot of people <laughs> might not remember Abe Gibran, wow. but he's a historic name from the past who was kind of one of my mentors in the business, and and Marty Schottenheimer, and there was a couple other guys, and you know, the combine used to be three days, but by the end of the third day, there were very few people there watching the workouts because they had worn out, you know, people had left, and I remember the three of us and a couple other guys sitting in the bleachers in the combine and watching the receivers work out the very last day, and I don't have any idea who the kid was, but he made a miraculous catch in the workout. 
workouts in front of us. I mean, he dove and, and came up all skinned up. And I mean, it was crazy. The guy laid it all out there in, in a combine workout. And everybody's kind of oohing and on. And Marty, I remember, was, was sitting right in front of me. And he kind of turned around and he said, yeah, kid, it's too bad. There's nobody here to see it. <laughs> and so I always remember, I always remember Marty with that dry sense of humor and, uh, you know, and, and thinking about, gosh, why, why? He, he, he saw things from a different light. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, great in the AFC West. I think you can also add in there the Redskins, right? I mean, he had the Redskins at nine and seven, I believe, a winning record. Uh, and I think Dan Snyder pulled the plug after that. So I remember him and John yeah, Snyder he, going to the Redskins together. So that was a, that was a stop right. that was a definite positive on his, on his resume as well. He did. He went eight and eight with Washington that year. And I'm just okay. going to call it up here. Cause I don't remember exactly what, what, what they were the year before, but I mean, I bet you it wasn't, well, I guess they were eight and eight the year before, but, but that was hard to win there. Um, yes. And that's, I remember it being a positive for sure. His time yeah, there, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like I said, twenty-one seasons as a as a head coach, and only two losing seasons the whole way. This is Marty Schottenheimer. I mean, you know, for better and worse, probably known as a little bit stubborn, right? My way. He's a my way coach. <laughs> we talk about these hirings, and even look at what the Chargers have been hiring recently, right? Guys yeah. who fit into their structure, and yep. and hey, these guys aren't going to rock the boat. Well. Let me tell you, Marty's <laughs> Marty is the boat. Okay, yeah, he would rock so, the boat. There's Marty no doubt is about the boat. That. So um, in Cleveland, uh, folks, you know, remember he he turned them around and they go to two straight AFC title games. Okay, and they're kind of Super Bowl talk the next year, and it winds up being Marty's last year in Cleveland. Um, he they had injuries, quarterback got hurt, uh, might have been running back hurt, and they had a disappointing year. And Lindy Infante was a top offensive coach in the league one of the time, and he had left as offensive coordinator, and so Marty took over, right? So Marty's going to do it. So end of the year, successful run, and the owner of the team, Art Modell, says, uh, uh, well, I don't want you to be the, the coordinator anymore. I want you to hire and get some help. And uh, Marty Schottenheimer said, why don't you just hire a new coach and laugh? I mean, he's 45 <laughs> years old. He's yeah. been to two straight AFC title games, and he just, that, yeah. yeah, well, you know what, I'll just not do that. And so he, Marty Schottenheimer <laughs> leaves yeah, and, awesome, and he, yeah. he goes to Kansas City yeah. and turns turns them around his way, you know. Right. And and they they win for the better part of a decade. And then Marty doesn't get fired. I mean Marty just says I'm done at one point. You know, they had they had a tough year and things kind of slipped out of control the last year, but he's he's gone. Shows up with the Chargers, and if you remember, the Chargers had the whole coming out of that whole Ryan Leaf thing. I mean, it, yep. it was a bad time. It was a debacle. Yeah, a, yeah. a debacle. And you know, they go through, they, they grind for a couple of years, but his last years, last three years, he's like thirty-five and thirteen, something like that. Wasn't it and fourteen and two the last year? He's fourteen two last year and gets fired. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> Can you imagine fourteen and two nowadays and then firing it, the coach? I mean, I I don't think that's ever happened. Oh, I'm positive it has. <laughs> no, I, don't, yeah. I don't have to look it up. Yeah. Yeah, and then Marty never coached again, and you know, I mean, just a just a unique character in the history of the game with with two hundred career victories. So we want to pay our tribute to him and and. Uh, and it is a sad day and a sad time, but some great memories. No doubt. Of Marty. As we pull it back into to this week, Randy, I mean, the, the court, we talk about quarterbacks probably too much, but it almost feels like it's not enough because, shoot, we just watched the Super Bowl where Tom Brady changed teams and they win the Super Bowl. We are now have already seen Goff, Jared Goff and Matt Stafford be traded. And yep. 
The Carson Wentz situation is interesting, too. Um, he hasn't been traded at the time of this taping, but who knows? I mean, that's yeah, a fluid sounds situation. Sounds like he, he's going to. Yeah, that's right. Sounds like he, he's going to. Um, as we were sort of scheming on this, he brought up a great point. Let's evaluate the player. I mean, let, before we do this, I mean, before we Imagine start Imagine that. Let's actually look at some film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's evaluate the players. So I think that's a critical component of this, right? If, mm-hmm. if we're going to evaluate the trade or if there's going to be a trade or what it should be worth, you got to put on that film and know what you're looking at. And it's one of the things I enjoy <laughs> having you on here for is that you know what you're looking at. So what were you looking at when you saw Carson Wentz? Well, the, the whole thing has just kind of been a, a, a head shaker for me from start to finish. But I know the Eagles season was kind of like that. So the whole the whole year you can probably put in, in a dumpster fire. But since this whole Carson Wentz trade deal has come out, I just keep saying, and I've said this to my friends in the business, it just doesn't make sense. There's just nothing about this that makes sense. And when I say not make sense, just the trading of, of Carson Wentz, it doesn't make sense. And and the, the narrative throughout the media and most of the fandom is that, well, he doesn't want to be there now. He doesn't want to be there. Well, that really doesn't mean anything to me as a GM. That I'm going to do what's right for the Eagles, and eventually he's going to want to be here if he wants to get paid. You know, that's really what it comes down to. I think all these guys want to get paid, right? And yeah. he's only going to get paid by us unless we decide to send him somewhere else and let someone else pay him. So anyway, that whole... I know I'm on a lonely island here. I don't believe it makes sense to trade Carson Wentz, and I don't believe the Eagles think it makes sense. I think they're actually chumming the waters just for a whole nother set of uh, of information gathering uh, uh, exercises. Interesting. But yeah. Anyway, Interesting. we can get to that well, at some point. Yeah. We, you know, I think some of the, what sets this up is that Matthew Stafford asked to be out, and they said, "Okay, why don't you just go yeah, here?" That's and so, the, yeah. That's the exception, though. I yes, mean, that generally exactly. doesn't happen um, that way. Yet, in this case, uh, there's been a lot of mis- sig- mixed signals sort of through the media, whether it's coming from Philly's camp or agent's camp or whatever. You have to sort through that. But when you put on the film to watch him as a player, what do you think? Can he be fixed? Right. That, and that's really what I did. I wanted to see the 2017 Carson Wentz, how he compared to the 2020 Carson Wentz. So I watched both both seasons, a bunch of film on it. And and really what it came down to me was, yes, I do think he can be fixed. Um, I think he has some elite physical skills that actually showed their head this year as well. There's a lot of individual uh, components that I think go into to the makeup of a quarterback. And it was clear to me that he still has the physical skills. He still has the arm strength. He rehabbed his knee. I, I, I was chasing a little bit of a story that uh, someone had told me, well, you know, I don't know if he rehabbed right from his knee. I think that knee's still bothering him. You know, his base is a lot wider, you know, now than it was back then. I, I, I don't think that's true. I didn't see that when I saw film. I saw physically a guy that can make all the throws. Still, I saw a guy that can stand in the pocket and get it out when he needs to get it out. What I saw was a guy that was bothered by the fog of war, so to speak. You know, it was all foggy for him. I saw trust broken in every way this year. And it was, he didn't trust his offensive line. The minute he got the ball on his drop, he's already looking for rushers coming at him. So he saw ghosts there too. He, He didn't trust his receivers coming open at the time where where uh, they would normally be open they weren't even there yet so he'd run away from them and go to options other than the the guys he was supposed to throw the ball to and then I just saw a system that kind of let him down as well so I didn't think the physical skills that I saw in 17 had all dissipated in 2020 having said that he played bad I understand that he played bad 
But I think there's a reason and ways that most of us, this isn't going to come as a surprise to people. It's been talked about so long, all season long. I just felt like there's enough there that, and then I, enough there to fix. And so I made a couple calls and, and, and I think my counterparts in the NFL way more than not think he's a fixable commodity. So that part, you know, I think physically he's there. I think the things that you still build and characterize for making a good quarterback are still there. It just, it, that part of it didn't make sense to me. In fact, I said, well, they can't be trading him because he can't, because he's not a good player. He, he was a good player two short years ago. So it, it, again, sent me back to the same thing. The trust has been broken, no doubt, but I'm not ready to put it all on Carson Wentz. I think it was yeah. a, and we've talked about this. It was a, it was a terrible roster to start with. They got devastated by injuries. I don't think it was Doug Peterson's best year for sure. So there's a lot of, a lot of issues there. And then when you talk about the, the just the full philosophical question of trading him, Howie Roseman, the GM there, has always erred on the side of, I'm going to overpay. I'm going to keep my guys till the end. I, I, I err on Deshaun Watson, Alshon Jeffries. These guys probably should have been gone a couple years ago. So that's been their motive there in the past. So he's there, always erred of we're going to keep him. And now all of a sudden to pivot and say, we got to get rid of this guy who to me still is a young, viable option as a quarterback in the league for sure. It just doesn't make sense to me. And that's kind of where I come back to. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, I think, you know, being one of these teams, so Chicago's picking 20th and the Colts are picking 21st. Those are two teams that could use quarterbacks. They're sort of far along in their development of, uh, as a program, just because their coaches have been there for a while and they've been either sniffing around the playoffs or in the playoffs without being able to get over the hump. And the idea is that if we can get a quarterback, we can get over the hump, right? If you were then one of those teams holding those picks, 20, 21, around there, are you giving up a first rounder for Carson Wentz? Well, I think it makes clear sense for multiple teams, not only a team like Chicago, but probably a team like the Colts. Could even make sense to a team like San Francisco. You know, I don't think you're going to get a Carson Wentz picking late in the first round for sure. So, yeah, that part makes sense. Um, I just, you know, I think there's a lot of moving parts here and a lot of reasons why he still doesn't get traded. And I know I'm alone on that island. I get it because uh, everybody has, has really shoved the boat off the island and, and left me there. But I, I still have a hard time with that. I do think... I think the worst thing that can happen to Philly is they trade him for a first-round pick and he goes somewhere else and leads them to the promised land. And I think that's a possibility if that happens. I don't know a lot yeah. of GMs that are willing to to take that kind of a risk, you know, especially after this year when, okay. as a GM, if I'm being honest, I'm part of the problem in Philadelphia this year. That's the problem that I don't get. If they send Carson Wentz away, you've already fired the coach. Now guess where everything is coming back on me? I'm not willing to, to do that and and – and, and one, point fingers everywhere else, and two, put all the arrows back on me for the next year. I want that quarterback that gives me the best chance next year because I don't think they have the future quarterback on their roster. I know there's a lot of been written and said about Jalen Hurts. I just don't see him as an NFL viable playoff quarterback at this point. So, What, what I wonder about, though, is, and I see this all the t every year when I do my quarterback tears poll, is, you know, so Carson Wentz was picked in the first round, so it's going to take him 25 years of playing bad before people don't think he's good. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. They have their college evaluation on him. Yeah. And Jalen Hurts is going to be the classic guy that everyone in the league is going to say he can't throw it. He doesn't throw right. it well enough. He's not going to be it. So he's going to have to play about 10 years of great football 
before anybody thinks he can play. Is there any danger in that in our evaluations of Wentz and Hurts and what it takes to even win in the NFL right now as opposed to even 10 years ago? Well, the danger being what? I get, I don't really understand what you're saying. The yeah, I mean, the danger being that we'll, we'll give Carson Wentz a million chances to show he's good because oh. we can see some of the talent there. He hasn't been that. Has he been good? Has he, has he been good? He's been good one year maybe when they had a great supporting cast around him. I'm playing a little devil's advocate here. But um, the next couple of years, um, okay. We, we've always heard about, does he, you know, is he, the, is he a good leader of the team? Have we seen that? Does he fit in with the guys? Does that matter to you as a GM? Or yeah. no, we're just looking at the physicals there so, we got it, so somebody can fix it. I just think it's easy to cast stones this year. Yeah. I do think, and, and we saw this happen, I don't know, multiple years ago in Seattle with Russell Wilson. Remember when all the rumors came out, well, Russell Wilson's not a good leader. You know, he's too, yeah. he's too tied to the front office and, and we don't, you know, he's not one yeah. of us. You know, well, that stuff happens when, when times are down, right? And I see that happening in, in a lot of places where they're starting to point fingers. And usually that comes after a bad season like Philly's had. I'm not one to give up on the guy after this year. That's all yep. I'm saying. And I think yep. it's a mistake to do it. They may end up moving on from him and, and that's fine. But I just I don't see all these things being a reason. And maybe that is because I'm a little more anchored on my evaluations. I'm anchored on what I saw at North Dakota State. I'm anchored on what I saw in 2016 and 17. And having searched for this for so long and now I found it, you know, I'm willing to hang in there with it. The other thing, the other side to that coin is. Howie Roseman, the GM, is not really an evaluator per se, right? He didn't come up the ranks as an evaluator. He came up as a cap guy. So yep. he knows more about what he's being told as opposed to what he's seeing. And that doesn't mean that, you know, you can't become a good evaluator. That That's – yeah. Yeah, that, that's you, you surely can. But I'm just saying we all come from different parts. We all believe different things. And sometimes we, you know, we make decisions differently. That's all based on the information that we get. So they're going to probably try to keep and hold a high price on and Wentz, and that seems to be have been the initial issue of there not being a trade early. They're asking for more than people want to give, so there could be a waiting game there. Who knows how that's going to play out. Meanwhile, there's other options. I mean, like a Sam Darnold. Do you think that Carson Wentz is just miles better than Sam Darnold, or would you be better off if you're Indy, better off if you can get Sam Darnold for less, or maybe he, maybe Darnold's price is high too. Would you be just as good going that route? I mean, is there a huge difference between those two guys if you're a GM trying to, you know, get the finishing touches on our team? Mm, I think Wentz is further down the road. I just think you have a, a, a more fair body of work, even though I don't think either one, it's a fair body of work because of what's been around him and the job others have done. But in Darnold's case, I mean, yeah. He's learned he, his offense at USC was, in my opinion, a little shaky. He goes there, it, it gets you know maybe even worse. In in Sam Darnold's case, he's had to memorize or learn a new offense too often, so that it's it's kind of held down his development as a player. If that makes any sense, he's just memorizing offenses. He's not working on his trade and getting to level two and level three of the evolution of playing that position because he's always learning something new. So that's a that's a negative for him that he hasn't really had a chance yet because he hasn't been in a spot where he can get to year two or three and have an offense make sense to him so he can get to the next level. I do think Sam Darnold is going to end up somewhere and and 
being better than what we've seen so far. It, it could be that it doesn't happen for a couple more years, and it might have to be somewhere else. But I do think he'll be an option for some of these teams you're talking about later in the first round that know they can't get a quarterback. I see all these teams tied to, you know, if they can't get a, a veteran quarterback, they're going to draft one. Well, you just can't create quarterbacks in the draft. <laughs> Personally, I see a couple you know, I don't yeah, see six yeah. or seven and there's six or seven teams being written and, and talked about that. Oh, they'll just draft one. Well, OK, <laughs> they're just not there. They, they just don't grow on trees. So there may be two quarterbacks, in my opinion, two and a half, maybe three this year. They end up being NFL starters. The rest is truly a crapshoot. So we'll see. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. And so that could drive up the price for a Wentz or whoever these guys are that have at least shown something in the NFL before. And when when deals happen, people may say, well, that's way too much. And it's like, well, you you sort of need one. Right. So yeah. I'm with you. I think that this Philly situation's weird. And I thought even when it's like, why were you hiring Nick Sirianni in the first place? Nothing against right. Nick Sirianni, but he had come from Indy and he had been around Frank Reich. And that was sort of the tie in to to Carson Wentz, that could at least make some sense of why yes. uh, he was hired to help out Wentz. Did they just do an independent search and decide, independent of anything with Carson Wentz, that that was the best coach um, for their team? It seems less likely, you know, right? Yeah, it seems uh, like that tie-in right. would be part of it. So I would think it'd uh, have to be a tie-in to Carson Wentz. And let me just throw out this one other example, Mike, of, of talking about Carson Wentz and where he's come from. He, he kind of became... A, a paint-by-numbers quarterback this year because of the system and the people around him. And he was already kind of a heading to, to a, a masterpiece-type painter a couple years ago. So that's the difference. And now he's kind of taken a couple steps back, back to paint-by-numbers again. So as you evolve at a, as a quarterback, you got to get through some of this stuff. And I just think there's enough on the other end, and we've seen enough on the other end to, to warrant giving this guy another chance. There might have been a little finger painting last year, even at certain points. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. But again, I'm not blaming it all on him. Yeah. But there's a there's a fair amount too that you know. And we talked about it on the podcast, the hero ball, and trying to make too much out of nothing. And and let's face it, most some of these quarterbacks and Carson is like this. He misses open receivers. I'm not going to try to make that into something that it's not. But he also missed open receivers at North Dakota State. He missed them in 2017 too. So that's just part of his game. He will miss some open receivers. I, I, list, I, I go back to my evaluation on Eli Manning. Eli Manning at Ole Miss missed open receivers too. And he became a two-time Super Bowl quarterback. So you can't hit every throw all the time. And I think I'm a hard critic on these guys from, for, from a quarterbacking standpoint. They just do. And that's part of Carson's thing that we just have to sometimes overlook. Yeah. Does the value of him, is it affected in your mind at all by the fact that he was benched during the year? As opposed to, you know, even though Goff got sideways with McVay, he was never really benched. Stafford wasn't benched. Uh, do you, does that affect in any way the value when you're going back and forth with teams? It doesn't for me as a GM that's looking at him. I just yeah. I think there was enough going on in Philly that it makes sense. I think you start to get diminished value when, as an acquiring team, you can't connect the dots. I think everybody can connect the dots on this one and exactly uh, what and who was to blame. I don't think that's going to hurt that part of the value evaluation. Yeah. I think is instructive too here. So we've talked for a few minutes about um, Carson Wentz and the trade and all this. And you and I haven't mentioned the salary cap one time. And it's because that's not ultimately that big of a deal when you really want to do something in the NFL. And we, I think we've seen this this offseason. Oh, the cap charge of carrying Carson Wentz or Jared Goff or whoever it is. It, cash yeah. is so much more important than the cap. And your owner's willingness to eat it 
in a deal is right. what determines whether you can do these deals. The fact that trading Carson Wentz and he's going to count $34 million on your cap doesn't matter if you're willing to take that, if you're willing to carry that. And so uh, that's why I think a deal is possible, even though um, there are cap implications. So I always like to point that out because I think so much of the conversation um, among fans and, and media tends to be around the cap, and it's really not what's driving whether or not you do a deal, whether it's with Carson Wentz or, or anybody else. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Let's move on to um, the Hall of Fame, Randy. Busy weekend with the Super Bowl. Let's hit this quickly. Um, I'm one of the, the voters on this thing, and Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson, Calvin Johnson, Alan Fanica, John Lynch were the five modern eras. There were three uh, others in different categories. I'm always interested. I, a lot of times I will uh, call people such as yourself or other evaluators and say, hey, you know, I'm trying to put together this ballot. What do you think? And a lot of times the Randy Mueller's can't find five they'd put in. Why is the bar so high for you in getting into the Hall of Fame? You always, you always think we put in too many. Right. Well, I, again, I, and it's not to take anything from the, the guys that get in for sure, because they're all really good and, and were great for a long time. And I just think we all have different criteria. That's all. Yeah. And I think in my mind, and I've said this before, you have to dominate at your position for eight to 10 years. That's always been my credentials for getting in the Hall of Fame. So I, I see that 
kind of waning nowadays, and I understand. I just think some of the old school guys, and I'll put myself into that category, for marketing reasons, we understand they have to put in five guys or they have to put in seven guys nowadays or whatever reason. And no one's really going to admit to that's why they have to do it. But it's obvious that that's why uh, the numbers grow so fast. I just think the criteria is is uh, different in everybody's mind. So that's why everybody, and you know, you're one of the yeah. presenters, one of the voters. So, you know, that's, that's the big thing for me is uh, it's not that these guys all aren't great players, but it's supposed to be the greatest of the great, right? And uh, that's a big that's a big statement to make when there's really no clear cut criteria in my in my mind. You might have have a clear criteria. I don't. Yeah, I sort of feel that way though too. This is for the best of the best. I'd rather err on the side of the really dominant player, and that's why um, on this class there's one guy I wanted to talk about that I get asked about a fair amount, which is Calvin Johnson. And to me, he was an easy pick to go in. And you know, okay, he didn't play 15 years or whatever, but he had eight or 10 years that were. And for most of those years, he was pretty elite. He, he to me, physically and just if we're playing him, there's a major game plan around him. Um, Is that the type of guy that you're talking about as opposed to maybe somebody who played twice as long but was just very good? Um, Yes, I, I, I definitely agree with that. You know, analogy. I think Calvin Johnson is a no-brainer. And again, I, I know he played on the lesser side of the time allotment that we talked about. But I do know, and, and I agree with you, I think he dominated the game from his position for a period of time that, you know, sets him apart from 99.9% of the other guys uh, to play that position. I think the position that these guys play is kind of a tough, unfair spot as well. Like, for example, uh, the guards. You know, we always talk about tackles, it seems like. is That's yeah. the, 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 the preeminent position up front. But guards in general, you know, it's you can you can dominate your position at guard. They always used to say, John Hand is the greatest guard ever. And I always used to say, well, he's still a guard. You know, so it's hard to, to, to make a difference from some of these positions. It's hard to make a difference as a guard. It, it just is. It's hard to make a difference as a fullback. And for years, it was hard to make a difference as a tight end, you know. So some of these positions paid the price, but it doesn't mean that these guys still aren't the best at what they did for a long period of time. I know. I struggled when there's like a kicker up or something, you know, and you're, and you're like, well, um, you know, he made a few extra from 50 plus yards and everything <laughs> yeah. else inside that's the same as every other kicker, really, which is the way kickers right. are for the most part. The top kickers are all going to make all of their short ones and they're going to make most of their middle ones. And some of them are great from a long distance. And is that enough to, right. <laughs> to say? At least you do have some points or some way to evaluate, some quantitative yeah, yeah. value. I don't think a guard or a center, sometimes they have anything to evaluate if, unless you study the film. Unless you've been an evaluator of that guy for 10 or 12 years, how would you know? Again, a a fan watching can't really appreciate the level of play that these guys, you know, give every week because of the position they play. That's all. It's hard. And so this year we have a guard going in with Peyton Manning. You know, Peyton Manning made every difference. The entire organization when he goes to Denver revolves around him (laughs) (laughs) compared to somebody else who just fits into your lineup. (laughs) Yeah. Alan Fanick had people, sometimes it takes forever for these guys to get in because people just don't know. Yeah. How to quantitative? How to how to evaluate them and put it yeah. in a, you know, in, in a summed up uh, yeah. sentence or two to get them in. The Super Bowl. I was surprised that it was thirty-one to nine Tampa Bay. I mean, I, I think I realized that if Tampa Bay was going to win, it was going to be that way. They were going to win on the lines. We thought there was going to be advantage there, but there's so much regard for Pat Mahomes and, and what they can do offensively. You thought that maybe they would 
win anyway and shoot Pat Mahomes went down swinging didn't he some of those throws throw <laughs> I mean were miraculous throws but this is amazing really to me just zooming out that um, that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers they have some they have good players they haven't been to a playoff since 2007 Randy they signed Tom Brady they win the freaking Super Bowl I mean that's amazing to me it's, it's still sort of sinking in. Timing is everything, right? It's all about timing. You, you've got to be able to, you know, go through the, the plate glass window at the right time, you know, and that's what happened to these guys. And again, they have a really good team. Obviously, the timing of it all helped them. When I, and it's the Super Bowl, let's face it, has been dissected 100 million times since since Sunday. So we're kind of jumping on the, the bandwagon late here. But I didn't see the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday that I saw all year long. I just felt like maybe they peaked a little early, but there was something missing with the Chiefs on Sunday. And, and, and it, maybe it was just the toll of, of the whole offseason. Maybe it was the toll of, of, of the things that had happened to them, the 48 hours with Andy's son and everything else. But I clearly saw a toll on the Chiefs, and it showed up in their legs. They dropped passes. They had, I hadn't seen these guys drop passes like this all year long. So they just, they just weren't connecting the dots right. On the other side, I saw Tampa as a team that not only peaked at the right time, uh, you could kind of see where they were going, especially the last three weeks. You know, and, and maybe that's in this COVID era. It, it just took longer to come together as a team. And I think no unit grew more. And this throw in Buffalo, throw in all these other kind of things that we talked about all year. But no unit grew more for me in the last three weeks than the defense did of Tampa Bay. I thought their defense after the Washington game came together and got better and better and better. And it just the timing was right for them to win that game. That's all I'm saying is timing was right. And yeah, Tom Brady, you got to give him credit for a million different things. But I felt like the defense won that game for Tampa. And uh, it didn't really matter what uh, happened uh, other than they, they pressured enough of Pat Mahomes. I didn't think Pat Mahomes was his, his normal self, um, even with all the throws, like you mentioned. Uh, I think the toe bothered him. I mean, we already saw the stats on how, many, how much yards he's covered with his legs all during the game. I mean, how much running he had to do. I just think it, for some reason, the, the, the moment seemed heavy on the Chiefs and it was light on Tampa Bay. And I know that's great analysis, right? <laughs> but it just seemed that way to me. Yeah, this I'm going to go way back. Some people may not remember. This reminds me of kind of like the first Ali-Frazier fight, where maybe Muhammad Ali was the better fighter over the course of their careers, but mm -hmm. Joe Frazier that night was not going to be denied. Yes. You know yes. what I mean? And he yeah. was he, he was not the as classy of a boxer or whatever, but he was a, a street fighter that night, and right. and that's right. what Tampa Bay was. I mean, you can't fake the hunger thing. We t you talked about it all year with the desperation and all of that. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was very impressed by Kansas City in, in the regular season to be able to win all the games except for one that they tried to win. They they sat out in Week 17 right. despite being the hunted, right? They and despite yeah. in this sort of COVID environment where it was a grind almost to come to to work after a while, and then. I thought, okay, are they going to be vulnerable in the playoffs to Buffalo? Because Buffalo was sort of this rising team, right? Yep. And yep. No yet doubt. they didn't have the teeth on defense, Buffalo. Right. And Tampa Bay did. And they just looked like the hungrier, angrier, hit you in the mouth. They were the hitters in yep. that no game. Doubt. It really showed. And so you don't really know if that's going to happen going in. But hats off to them. That's unbelievable, really.
I saw, yeah, and again, I and this is just watching on TV. It's hard to get a feel, but sometimes yeah. you can just see it in people's eyes, right? I thought that Tampa Bay came out, and and like you said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? And and the Chiefs have come back from some deficits, so it's not like the first time they've been behind. But Tampa Bay laid it on them. The Chiefs kind of responded a little bit, but it was like like you said, then Frazier came back again, yeah. and it kind of took out. It yeah. took them out. It took them out. It, and, it, and I kind of felt like in their eyes and in their body language, they didn't have any more answers. It's like Tampa took their best punches after yeah. the initial, you know, quarter and a half. And, and Kansas City had nothing. And then the run that Leonard Fournette made for the touchdown to me was about as telling as you could. I saw defenders yep. not uh, giving everything they had. I saw defenders' body language sag. This is before he got in the end zone. Little and business so that, decisions, even, or were you? Yeah, I don't know about business decisions, no. but kind of like, oh man, you know, yeah. like, like we've given everything and it's not working, and, yep. you know, and and yep. they they were kind of out of ideas. It was kind of that body yep. language is, oh man, we're out of ideas. This is it, you know. Yep. And there was a lot a lot of game left still at that time, so I guess yep. that's what I'm saying is I just I just felt that I didn't feel like it was this the Chiefs uh, and and credit Tampa Bay, and I'll just say this about Tampa, Bruce Arians has taken uh, his fair fair amount of shots all year long what he did with this team I don't think he gets enough credit I know Tom gets all the credit and, and rightly so but what Bruce Aarons did, Aarons did with kind of setting his ego aside kind of maybe he was the right guy to make this team come together I just don't yeah. think people realize that his style his personality the way he leads he ought to get credit for some of that. And, and I don't think he got enough credit to this point. I wasn't sure whether he was going to earn that credit at midseason. Yeah. I think he earned it at the, over the second half of the year. As no doubt. They, they were a reflection of him. The guy who goes yes. in there and says, wait, these guys are favored? Who the F are they? they yeah. got to come yeah. beat us. You know what right. I mean? And they, they played with that Bruce Arian sort of bravado yes. um, in the game. And so yeah. um, that was pretty cool. Any concerns for the Chiefs long-term, Randy, in terms of them being in the mix every year? You know, not really because... Because look at it. They, they had uh, offensive linemen missing. They had all kinds of stuff. I felt like they just kind of ran out of steam for whatever reason. I think the concern would be that they overreact. But knowing Andy Reid like I do, they're not going to upset the yeah. apple cart. They're going to stay to their plan. They'll stay true to it. You know, they're going to get their two tackles back. They're going to get the... the uh, the, the doctor back that, that opted out. They're going to get all these guys hopefully at some point back. So they're going to be fine. Like Pat Mahomes said, use this as a little bit of a motivating tool. I think it will help them get through the long grind in future years because they know what happened. And I'll say this. we've Again, I keep going back to some of the things we talked about during the podcast over the course of the season. Tampa lost to these guys early in the season. I truly believe that when you lose that first game, you have a better chance to succeed in the next time around. And that hasn't always come true, but I thought it did in this case. Tampa had had a chance to come up with a total new game plan. They had lost. They were, again, like you said, the hungrier because of that. A lot of reasons. That's why I just think it might have been a little perfect storm. And, and Tampa, again, I think Tampa deserved it, but they had a lot of things kind of lining up for them uh, during this postseason culminating with the game on Sunday. Yeah, when I look at them and their long term for Kansas City, I think they're so dynamic at yeah. the Kelsey and Tyreek Hill positions um, that my only concern is that you can't be like that forever. I'm surprised Kelsey's played this well this long. I mean, I think when he did his contract, it was not, it was a little bit of a hollow contract compared to some of the other ones. And, and I thought, well, you know, he's got another 
couple years here, but he looks great. So yeah. if if he and Tyreek Hill can can be like this another few years, I mean, they're, I think they're going to be back. I think they're going to be right in it. But I think it's hard to have guys like that forever. And so right. when people start talking about can Mahomes approach Brady in seven Super Bowls, that's hard. And yeah, these I mean, are you, these are precious opportunities missed. <laughs> no doubt. These and they're also numbers that again, I know it's easy for us to talk about them on the outside, but they're not talking about that on the inside. They're they're playing play by play. I think if the Chiefs do learn anything, it's that they're probably going to have to incorporate more of the running game in what they do on a week-to-week basis. Because I thought they left some yards on the field, Super Bowl-wise, running the ball. There was a little bit of a panic that didn't need to be. I just think they'll become a more running team and and find ways to, to do things with their running game that they didn't this year. It's time for Ask the GM. All right, our Ask the, the GM question today is a good one, Randy. Do you think with the cap going down next year, likely? And, you know, we don't know exactly how much, but it's certainly not going to go way up like it has been in the past. Right. Will it change the way GMs build their teams, and how so? Well, I do think it's going to it's going to affect the way they do their job, and and here's why I think that the cap's not only going down this year; it's not going to go up much in the two years after that too, because I believe the deal they struck with the Players Association was that we're going to spread this out over three years, and and the the loss of revenues that that they had this year in the NFL will be reflected next year's cap, but the following year and the following year as well. We may be looking at a cap uh, three years from now that's, you know, 220 million, something like that. Well, that's not, you know, maybe it's maybe it's 210. It's not going to be a lot different than what it was this past year at 200. So I do think when you commit long-term deals, you've really got to be cognizant of, you know, you've always had in the back of your mind, well, the cap's going to go up 10 or 12 million. So I got some room to play with. I can build in some raises going forward. If I was a GM and putting my contract team together on paper, I've got to be cognizant of the amount of raises that I build in, because I think that's a way in year two and three of post-COVID time where you can save some cap. And, and let's face it, if you can find a way to, to, to curtail some of the raises, that may be another player or two or three that you can add. So I do think your longer term focus on the cap, and you always have, have people on their game and that's their job. But for example, we're talking about all these quarterbacks. Here's a question I think is going to be talked about. I don't really know the answer to it, but is it worth it to have a quarterback at 37, 38, 40 million dollars of cap money uh, on your books for the next three or four years? And can we afford to still build a team around him and, and with the cap not ever going up much? Because I think we're, I don't think it's going to go up a ton in the next two or three years. So that's yeah. a question that's going to have some discussion. I would think internally. I don't know if you have any thoughts no. on that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think one key variable is there's TV deal coming up, and that will affect the money and the amount of the cap. So those that deals, might make them well. That could get them well. Yeah. In a so way. Uh, most of those deals expire, run through the 2022 season. So okay. I know they've been That's working on that. So if they if they get a huge round of funding, <laughs> you know yeah. that could affect um, the way things go. Um, then the other thing is uh, your thing about the paid quarterback is very interesting to me uh, because. Um, obviously, you should have one if he's a great player. But as we know, the the hard part is when you have a win with quarterback and you're paying them like a win because of quarterback, right? That And that happens right. all the time, whether it's all Kirk Cousins, time. who's a good pro quarterback. But when you're yeah. carrying that much, you know, then you got to make better choices elsewhere because you have fewer um, resources to go along. And part of me, Randy, 
on this Carson Wentz thing, okay? And you raised the idea that Howie Roseman is not an evaluator first, okay? And they're always mentioned among the analytics teams, right? Mm -hmm. That's looking at it from a more of a numbers standpoint and mm -hmm. doing those evaluations. So one of those um, things, lines of thinking that kind of got popular among analytics -y type people in the last 10 years was, uh, well, since this new CBA was, um, shoot, having a quarterback on a rookie deal is a big advantage for building mm -hmm. your roster, okay? Mm -hmm. So if you're Philadelphia and you're saying, you know, Carson Wentz is good. We, yes, we think he's fixable, but we don't think he's really for a win because of guy. We think at his best, you can win with him, and we did. When we had everything right on the offensive line and Doug had everything going well, we, we had health, we had a good defense, um, we can win with him. But guess what, guys? Going forward, we don't have that. We can't afford to pay Carson Wentz as if he's Pat Mahomes right. when the rest of our roster is crap, frankly. Yep. And yep. so do they see their way out of this right. as, look, we got to get this $38 million, $35 million anchor off of our boat because our boat is not the shiny, beautiful yep. new boat that it was a few years ago. We can't win with Carson making this much, so we'll bite the bullet. We'll trade him somewhere. Shoot, maybe we trade him somewhere where... He's not going to win it all because I think Howie and these guys feel like they got to win the trade probably a little bit, right? They're right. going to be mindful about that, not having him right. go win a Super Bowl. But trade him somewhere. And, you know, Hurts, whether he's the answer or not, we're not going to pay $35 million a year for just a win with guy. Well, what do you think of that? Yeah, no, I, that's kind of what led me to down the road yeah. where I, I answered yeah. the way I did because I do think the cap – uh, you have to be cognizant of the caps in years two and three. Let, let's say that that is part of the reason the Eagles do that. They'd bite the bullet, like you said, and take it all this year. Yeah. That's what that means for 2022 and 23. It's pretty good for them cap-wise. But they don't have a quarterback. But in this year, they already pick six. So I'm saying if they do do something like this, they're going to have to, I think, parlay another move on top of that to get from six to two in the draft or something like that. Then you have your first contract quarterback, in my opinion. Uh, there, so there, I guess that we're kind of yeah. saying the same thing. There, yeah. Maybe there's a master plan here that people yeah. need to look further beyond this year for. With Hertz as just a nice little insurance policy that he could play some of the year if he needed to or whatever, um, yeah. and maybe he develops. You, you have at least a guy, and look, you, you don't think he's going to be the guy, but they may think he can at least be part of the equation with whoever they draft, and you move forward. And then the second year, you, you're really going with more cap room. and right. and A lot more cap room. A really. lot more cap room. And if, if Carson Wentz you know, does fine somewhere else, it's someone they can say what they want but we're building our team you know yep i agree with you i think but, that the structure of the cap the next three years not just this year is going to cause some discussions internally to happen around the league just like the one you're you and i are having yep absolutely well that's that's a good one there good discussion good podcast again this week randy and it's been a great season um really have enjoyed, enjoyed doing yeah. this and and uh, hopefully we'll be continuing to do it but with the season sort of winding down here um, there's not going to be a game next week, and uh, we'll see where it goes. So thank you, everyone, for coming along. It's been a great 2020 season heading in now to 2021.